welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. Alright, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you open them up to Luke chapter 10, we're going to read... Uh, obviously, as you can see, we've got up here, we're talking about Mary and Martha this morning. And uh, I, it's a story that, like, I've probably heard it a hundred times. I've, I've read it often. I know it well. Heard preachers talk about it. And, uh, you know, we have this kind of contrast between Mary the spiritual one and Martha the unspiritual one. Um, well, that's kind of how it's often presented. Uh, in a way, isn't it? But Martha was the one who was kind of busy and and doing things and, and serving and got a little bit annoyed at Mary because she wasn't helping. Let's just have a look at uh, a look at the story and I want to kind of talk about, I guess, what God's been putting on my heart and, and why I feel like he's laid this on my heart this week. So it's at the end of Luke chapter 10. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. So we kind of get the impression, don't we, that these two sisters, they live together in other parts of Scripture. We're told they have a brother called Lazarus who very probably lives there with them as well. Um, but when we, when we read this, it says that the house, uh, it says Martha welcomed him into her home. We kind of get the sense that she's the big sister. Uh, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable kind of thing to, to suppose here. Probably the responsible one. <laughs> Probably the one that pays the bills. Elder sister. All right, yeah. Uh, and, and so we have this picture, the, these two sisters and their, their brother Lazarus were not he's not mentioned in this particular passage of scripture so we don't know whether he was here at the time and just doesn't feature in the the point of the story or whether he was off somewhere else or you know whatever but he's he's not important but he's part of the family just to kind of put it in a bit of context for you uh, and it says her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Have you ever been in that kind of situation where uh, you're just like cruising on a Saturday afternoon and you're relaxing and you're having, you know, and and suddenly uh, somebody says, hey, I'm coming over to your house. And it's like, it's not just for like an afternoon cuppa, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm sticking around for dinner. It's like... (laughs) Well, I don't know how much warning Martha had here. Um, it does say that, you know, in the first bit we read, it said, you know, she, she welcomed him. So whether she knew Jesus was coming to Bethany uh, ahead of time and had time to tidy up and, you know, do a bit of a spruce up and make sure there was groceries in the pantry or whatever, we're not really sure whether she just found out that Jesus was in Bethany and she's like, oh, you should come to my house. We, we don't know. Like, But we do get the sense that... It wasn't like, she didn't take that as like an imposition. Like Martha, it says Martha welcomed him to her house. And, you know, we we read about in in the accounts of of Mary and Martha and their relationship with Jesus and and Lazarus, we read that there was a a close relationship. 
He, he stayed at her house a number of times. Um, they, they knew each other well, uh, and they were friends. They, they really cared about each other. Uh, and, and so we don't get the sense that Martha was an unwilling participant in Jesus coming to her house. I, I find it a little bit hard to imagine Jesus going somewhere where he sort of wasn't really very welcome. We, we don't get that sense much in, in Scripture, do we? Usually he was quite happy to just, you know, keep walking or to, to go chill out under a tree somewhere. And usually he would go when he was invited uh, and, and hospitality was extended and, and that sort of thing. So, so we kind of come to this, you know, maybe there were some things where Martha wasn't particularly prepared. Maybe she was just the kind of person who had a gift of hospitality. You know what it's like? If you've ever been to the home of someone who has a gift of hospitality, they love to make sure that everything is just right. They love to make sure that the food that they present to you uh, is a little bit fancy, a little bit special, um, this is sometimes how I feel when a, when a pastor goes to a Filipino home. Um, you always feel like the food's just a little bit, like they, they want you to, be, to, to enjoy their food, don't they? Isn't that right? I'm, I'm looking over this side. Um, <laughs> no particular reason why I'm looking over this side. <laughs> what was that? Must enjoy the food. It's, it's not. It's not optional. It's it's compulsory. <laughs> but but that's they, they they want to bless you. They want you to feel welcome. They you know nothing is too much trouble. Even though I have weird food allergies and intolerances that probably leave them scratching their heads, wondering what on earth do I feed this man. Uh, <laughs> but they would never let you know that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so we kind of get this sense that, that Martha's this kind of person. She wants things to be right because she actually she loves Jesus. She respects him as a teacher. She wants to bless him. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself in, in terms of some of my points. But um, you, you kinda, I'm trying to create this, this picture uh, of, of what's going on in the home. Are, are, you, are you getting it with me? Are you Are getting a feel? We probably know people who are a bit like that, who just love to put on the food. They always seem to have you know, chilled glasses in the freezer or something when they give you a cold beverage or you know, the, the coffee's always on or you know, they always manage to, to pull out this cake that I baked earlier or <laughs> just, just on the off chance that somebody might drop in or, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, so, some of us are totally not like that, but we like visiting people who are like that, don't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, so it says Martha's distracted by this big dinner she's preparing. She's trying to lay it on. She's trying to, you know, and, and we've got to remember too, like it does say Jesus was with his disciples, okay? So it probably wasn't just Jesus in the home. There was probably most of the, at least the, the 12 disciples were there as well. So we can assume it wasn't like a, you know, some little uh, hovel or something. It was probably a reasonable size home and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and it says that she, she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, and some translations he says, Martha, Martha. 
not not the not the not the Brady Bunch, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. No, um, but but there's this kind of affection in his voice. I think that's what the New Living Translation here is is trying to capture that affection that he's communicating and that he's feeling towards Martha. You can just see that kind, patient, long-suffering expression on his face, can't you? My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now we see a a, a contrast here, don't we, between Martha and and her personality, and and Mary and and her personality, and it's not hard to imagine, uh, we we often know people who are kind of a little bit that way inclined, we know people who's, I I think, often think about personalities, uh, it helps me to think about in terms of love languages too sometimes, and I think, you know, if you're familiar with the concept of the five love languages, I think probably a lot of you are, Uh, Martha's love language is probably what? Acts of service, serving, like she's, uh, she's you know, and, uh, and Mary's, you know, here over sitting with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, what's her love language probably, quality time, that's right, love having a wife whose love language is quality time, uh, so I understand that one, I relate to that one well, I just, just want to be here with you doing what you're doing. Um, but this, this kind of raises this whole question. Now, Jesus, uh, as he responds to Martha, and he's like, Martha, like you, you're fussing over this big meal, and like any normal bloke, he's like, as long as it's food, I'm happy. You know, <laughs> there's a bunch of blokes here, like it doesn't have to have pretty garnishes on it. It doesn't have to like be curled along the edges or, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be, you know, fancy tablecloth or like, you know, it's like as long as we can eat it. That's that's sweet. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all cool. He's like, you, you're stressing out here. He says, there's, there's one thing that's worth being concerned about. Now, I, if you've ever heard a sermon preached on this passage of Scripture, and I, I've heard quite a number of them, um, it often kind of, like I said, uh, alluded to before, it, it often is presented as Mary's kind of the spiritual one who, you know, is doing the right thing. And Martha gets told off because she's the unspiritual one who's fussing over practical things and she should have just been sitting and listening to Jesus as well. Anybody heard a sermon that kind of goes along similar lines to that? You're not, Matthew's putting his hand up. Thank you, Matthew. Some of you are just nodding and like, you know. But I think like Martha kind of gets a bit of a, a, a rough portrayal. Um, Oh, sorry, I had a cool slide about love languages. Let me go back to that for a minute. Here, here's a great, I, I saw this one. This kind of was a, uh, a meme, that, or a tweet that sort of became viral. It was the five love languages as explained with burritos. Okay, so if you're not super familiar with the love languages, like words of, uh, these are the five. Words of affirmation, here's an example. This is, is a good burrito. Uh, acts of service, I made you a burrito. Receiving gifts, here's a burrito. Uh, quality time, let's go get some burritos together. And uh, physical touch, arms around a person wrapped in a big warm hug like a burrito. <laughs> I thought that was a little fun. I've seen uh, some, of, some people have done them with coffee and um, uh, all sorts of other things, hot pot and anyway. Martha 
kind of gets a, a little bit of the, uh, you know, she was too busy for Jesus kind of treatment. She was, you know, this, this unspiritual, practical stuff. She, you know, she should have been sitting at Jesus' feet just like Mary was. But I want to have a look, because uh, I, think, I think that's a little bit unfair. And I think Martha's actually, um, you know, her heart was really to serve Jesus, wasn't it? And as we kind of, as we sort of start to look just a little bit beneath just like a surface treatment or, or, of, of this story, we see that, you know, sh- she's opened her home up to Jesus. She's welcomed him into it. She's wanting to provide for him. She's wanting to bless him. She has a great relationship with Jesus. But there's another story which I think tells us a little bit more about what's going on inside Martha's head. We know that some people are just not the, uh, you know, don't tend to be the just sit down and, and do nothing kind of people. You know, so, some of us seem to be able to do that all day long. <laughs> you know, nothing better than, you know, curling up with a good book somewhere and, and, and doing nothing. And some of us, would that would drive us crazy. And, you know, we don't do too well at, at sitting still for long periods of time, do we? <laughs> Um, but there's another story that gives us a little bit more of a glimpse uh, into Martha, and it's the story that's told in John chapter 11. If you want to flick across to that in your Bibles, you can, or you can just read it here with me on the screen. And this is the story of, of Lazarus being raised. And, and we know from the, the first part of the story, we're just going to kind of pick it up in the middle just to highlight the, the bit that I really want us to focus on. But the start of the story, we know that Jesus was a couple of days away and, and Lazarus had become sick and Mary and Martha sort of sent word and message to Jesus saying, you know, look, Lazarus is sick and we know you really care about him, so would you, would you come and, and heal him? Would you come and, and be here? And, uh, and we know Jesus says to his disciples, like, you know, Lazarus isn't going to die, um, but then he waits a couple more days before he goes. And verse 17, we pick it up and it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary, Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. What is she saying? She's saying, I believe you can, you can give him life again, isn't she? It's essentially what she's, de- what she's declaring. Look at that incredible state. Isn't that an amazing statement of faith out of the lips of this, you know, what we often dismiss as unspiritual person? That is an incredible amount of faith. I don't know if I've got that, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that kind of amount of faith that says, you know, believing for people to be raised up from the dead after they've already been in the, the, the morgue for four days. That is an amazing statement from Martha, but there's more, all right? She goes on in this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And it's almost like, you know, yes, Martha says he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And she thinks that Jesus is offering a 
kind of a, a words of comfort or a, uh, you know, in that sense. And Jesus says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. Watch what she says next. She says, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. What a declaration. Does that, does that kind of sound familiar to you? That kind of declaration about who Jesus is. Who else do we know that made a declaration about Jesus being the Messiah? In Matthew chapter 16, we read uh, Jesus asking the disciples and saying, you know, who do people say I am? And they're like, oh, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're a prophet. And it's like, well, who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up and says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you know, blessed are you, uh, Simon, for, you know, God has revealed this to you and it's not come from men and now you, I call you Peter, uh, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And so Jesus actually, you know, and we see this, uh, and we often give, like, Simon Peter a lot of credit for this statement, this, this revelation, this understanding, and this declaration of faith, this belief in Jesus as the Messiah. But Martha doesn't often get much credit for, the, for a similar, a, a remarkably similar kind of statement and declaration of her faith and her confidence in who Jesus is. I, I think given what Martha says and, and given this declaration from her and the fact that she states this is not just a, a new revelation based on what's going on in that moment. She says, I've always believed. Did you notice that? It's like this is, this is a belief that she's held for some time. This is, this is not just like, oh, just yesterday I figured it out. Uh, this is like, you know, and, and you know, this, this goes a long way to explaining, you know, her, her deference to Jesus as a teacher and her willingness to, to serve and host and, and all those kinds of things because of her respect for Jesus. But I think, you know, when we read these kind of passages and read these words that come from her mouth, we can't simply dismiss her as an unspiritual person, can we? We can't just dismiss her as somebody who doesn't really get it, because she obviously does. She obviously understands a lot and has listened to Jesus talking and has been in his presence enough to know who he really is. At a time when very few did. There were, there were many even his, of his disciples at this stage uh, and, and, and followers and those who are regularly listening and, and, and people who'd studied scriptures and knew the prophecies that hadn't got to this level of revelation yet at this point in time about who Jesus is. But Martha does and she's got it. And so we can't simply just write her off uh, and write her responses off as being, well, she's an unspiritual person who really needs to check her priorities kind of <laughs> you, know, I was, you know what I mean so what is Jesus what is Jesus saying what what's the point of the story then if it's not about spiritual person versus unspiritual person and you know we emulate Mary and not Martha what what's the point of the passage 
Is Jesus saying that, that serving people and, and, and doing things in practical ways is not important? No, obviously not. It would contradict too much of Scripture, wouldn't it? You know, we, we have all kinds of things. And, and, and Luke doesn't seem to agree with this either, if only by the fact that this story about Mary and Martha comes immediately after the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, in the verses right before what we just read this morning, is the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and help your neighbor who's in trouble. Go and do practical things. Go and give and look after people who are in need. And then he tells this story. And like for Luke to put those stories together, it seems he can, he can only be saying that this is not really about, you know, what Jesus is not saying, that, that serving and caring for people in practical ways is not important. When James writes his epistle and encourages people uh, believers from you know all over the place, he says, uh, encourages them that they should not just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says. In, in James 1 verse 22, Jesus himself commanded his disciples to become servants, to be willing to wash one another's feet just as he had done for them. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10, when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And it's interesting to note as well, when we, when we read that, that story, and if, if you look, Jesus doesn't actually criticize or, or tell Mary off for wanting to serve in practical ways, does he? The only, the only criticism that she has from Jesus is that he says, Martha, you're all stressed and you're all worried about things that aren't really that big a deal. He says, you're getting stressed, you're getting worried. There's a couple of things that, that, that as I read this story and, and as I was thinking about you know, where, where Martha's coming from and, and kind of what's going on, there was a, there was a couple of things that sort of seemed... Um, to kind of be part or, or tied up with why Martha gets really stressed out. And I, this, is, this is kind of a little bit of my, um, it, it's not written here in Scripture, okay, so we're not going to build any theology on it, um, but I just kind of want to help to uh, illustrate and, and maybe some things that perhaps are a little bit thought-provoking, all right? So Martha's stress and worry and anxiety seems to me that it could possibly be coming from a couple of a couple of things that are perhaps going through her mind this is kind of based on i guess my experience of human beings <laughs> and the first one i think is 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 she's getting stressed because of her desire to please and sometimes we get we get anxious because we're looking for when our desire, when our motivation, when our goal is to please somebody, then usually don't we look for some sort of validation or affirmation of that. We look to see how it's being received, whether we're being 
successful in pleasing that person? Do we see joy? Do we see uh, pleasure? Do we see delight or, you know, something in that person's face or in their response? And I believe that, that Martha honestly and genuinely and with a great heart, at least at the beginning, wanted to please Jesus. And, and as we hear her, her words to Jesus, there's almost like, for me, I almost hear an unspoken request for that kind of affirmation and that sort of validation in her words when she says, you know, Jesus, doesn't it seem, does it seem unfair to you that, that I'm here kind of doing all the work and Mary's not? She's sort of looking for some sort of affirmation and validation that says she's doing the right thing, that what she's doing is important, that what she's doing is, is worthwhile, that what she's doing is appreciated and valued by Jesus. When she says, tell her to come and help me, she's trying to get Jesus on her side, isn't, he? <laughs> isn't she? She's like, come on Jesus, you agree with me, don't you? But Jesus, I, I, I think he, he loves Martha because I think he knows exactly what's going on in her heart. But I think he, he takes this opportunity in this moment to speak to Martha and to remind her that her worth comes not from what she does, but from her relationship with him. That his approval of her and his pleasure in her is not because she cooks the best apple pie in Bethany, um, but because he sees her heart and he knows her desire and her love to, to be a servant and to care for him and her generosity in, in providing. And, you know, and he sees the heart behind where all these things are coming from. He says, you don't have to to do all of this stuff for me to like you. And there's this wonderful affirmation and, and validation that comes when we understand that Jesus loves us whether we do lots of stuff or not. That doesn't mean that, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we know, we talked about it just a minute ago about how, you know, uh, kindness and serving and, and doing things are important, but that's not the reason that Jesus loves us. And we have to be, uh, I think we've got, to, we've got to get that. We've got to grasp that. We've got to see that. Whether we're, uh, you know, relationally oriented like Mary or whether we're a, a doer, whether we're a busy person like Martha, we have to understand that, you know, those things are great, but they're not the basis of our relationship with Jesus. He doesn't stop loving us if, if we you know, drop one of the 16 balls that we're trying to juggle in the air at any one time. But secondly, I think Martha's stress also comes from focusing on somebody else and what somebody else is doing. And so often I, I, I see this in conversations with people who are, who are frustrated or struggling and it's, it, it's, it, there, there can be, it's so easy to get caught up in this comparing ourselves with other people. 
and comparing ourselves with what other people are doing. And we kind of, it's almost like we're, we're looking, we're, at times we look for uh, affirmation that what we're doing is right by, you know, does, does it fit with what everybody else is doing? You know, or does it not fit with what everyone else is doing? How, do, we, do we at times try to get other people to conform or, or to do the same thing that we're doing because then we feel like we're doing the right thing. We feel like if, if, if everybody else is doing the things that we're doing, then we feel like we must be doing something right. Has that, has that thought, have you ever had that thought? Have you had that moment? If, if, if what I'm doing is different to everybody else, I must be doing it wrong. <laughs> and it isn't true. It isn't true. Jesus has a walk for you that is unique and individual to you. And we, we, we cannot get into this kind of trap of comparing and, and wanting everybody else to kind of do the same thing and think the same thing and act the same way and behave the same way because we have a different walk. Now, there are, there are values which I'm not, I'm not kind of going to go down that road and don't misunderstand me and think that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of saying that, you know, whatever you do is up to you and it's your truth and all this kind of, you know, people take this kind of concept way too far and apply it in ways that it shouldn't be applied. There, there is truth in God's Word and there are, there are uh, objective kind of um, values that are, and, and things that are right and wrong according to God's Word, but that generally they're not the kind of things that we get hung up on, are they? Generally it's like the, you know, the littler things, the less important things. Do we ever find ourselves being critical of those who serve Jesus in a way that's different to us or worship Jesus in a way that's different to us? use different songs to us or, you know, raise their hands or don't raise their hands or close their eyes to pray or don't close their eyes to pray or, you know. <laughs> when you kind of stop and you really think about it, sometimes it's like, does Jesus really care if my eyes are closed? LAUGHTER he probably, yes, he probably does if you're driving the car at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so open them, please. <laughs> All right. So Martha is, is looking at Mary and going, you know, she's kind of almost like superimposing herself onto Mary. And it's almost like she's going, well, if Mary really cared, if Mary really wanted to be part of looking after Jesus and blessing Jesus, she would think the way I do and she would be here helping to get the meal out. And Jesus is like, no, 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 Mary's, Mary's not you. <laughs> this is Mary's way of honouring me. This is Mary's way of listening to me and this is what she needs to do right now and this is a good thing that she's doing. Sometimes it's, it can be a little bit of that, we can get so busy doing things for Jesus that we stop doing things with Jesus. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? 
And sometimes it's like this, there's nothing wrong with doing things, but we need to be doing things with Jesus instead of just for Jesus. And the things that we do need to come out of the time that we've spent sitting in the presence of Jesus. And I ab- have absolutely no doubt that if Jesus had said to Mary, Mary, would you go and get me this? Mary, would you go and do this for me? That she would have done it without hesitation. Because she would have heard her master's voice and heard him speaking to her and giving her an instruction and and a request and and she would have gone, yep, absolutely, I can do that for you. And so often I think sometimes our busyness has very little to do with what Jesus has actually told us to do. And it has very little to do with us actually spending time and listening to his voice and hearing him at all. And I've been really, I've been challenged by a lot of this stuff. And and I, I can tell you that over the last few weeks and few months even, that the Holy Spirit's kind of been challenging me about my own spiritual relationship with Him. Most of you have no idea about what it's like to be a pastor. Okay, that, that's a pretty safe statement, isn't it? Most of you don't know what it's like to be a to, to pastor a church, to, to get up every week and have the responsibility of, of leading and preaching and teaching. And, and most of you would have uh, little understanding of what it's like to try to feed yourself spiritually and not let it become a three-point sermon outline for what you're going to preach on Sunday morning. And, and so much of, of what God has been challenging me on lately is like, if you stripped away some of that stuff, if, if I wasn't preaching on Sunday, uh, you know, it's like, how, how do I just kind of take in stuff and listen to stuff for me? And he's been challenging me on this and going, kind of get, trying to get me to just sit down and, and read something without it being sermon material or listen to something without it being a, you know, a, a leadership presentation or, you know, <laughs> and those kind of things. And it's not easy. <laughs> it, it's not easy. You know, even when I'm on holidays, I listen to a sermon and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great sermon. I could preach that. <laughs> it's like, no, stop it. <laughs> and sometimes it, it just has to be, you know, just kind of like no agendas, no, no ulterior motives, no kind of looking for the next um, Sunday morning message or, you know, looking for... Um, how I can be a good example to somebody else or, you know, who, who, who really needs to hear this message, uh, <laughs> who, who, who this would be really good for, because, you know, you, you know that's what's... I, uh, that's probably something you can relate to a little bit, right? Don't, you've, you have those moments, don't you? You're listening to something, you go, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. and that's okay like there's nothing wrong with that that might really encourage them and bless them if you share it but if you miss out on what God is saying to you because you're too busy looking over at how that's going to speak to so-and-so over here I I think maybe you've missed the point we've missed a, a little something there what if you what if you lost your ability to do anything what if you had no opportunity anymore? You hadn't, you hadn't, what if you had nothing left to give? 
And what if you had no capacity or opportunity to, to serve in a church? What if you had no physical ability to be able to help other people? What if you had no, no sight to read another word or no voice to sing or speak to another person? Is there anything left? And it's like Jesus is saying here to Martha, and, and I don't know whether Mary heard this or not. I suspect that she probably was within earshot because when we tell somebody to go and tell somebody else to do something, generally they're hearing it, aren't they? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> you, you can be pretty sure that Martha spoke in a volume that Mary could hear. <laughs> and I suspect that Jesus probably did too. And part of what Jesus was saying was, was affirmation for Mary as much as it was affirmation for Martha. And he says, hey, your relationship with me is the only thing that is absolutely necessary and essential. Everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else is, is bells and whistles and they might be fantastic and they might be great, but there is only one thing that is essential. There is only one thing that is necessary. There is only one thing that is needed and that's our relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to... to to challenge yourself and ask yourself some questions this week. The same, those same kind of questions that I've, I've been asking myself, and I know it kind of almost sounds a little bit hypocritical when I've been saying, you know, um, <laughs> trying, to, trying to listen to Jesus for things that aren't going to end up in a sermon, and, and I'm kind of talking about that. But I just felt like Holy Spirit put that on my heart to share because He wants, He, he knows that we need reminders at times to go, it isn't just about what we do. You know, Jesus doesn't really need you to do stuff as much as he just wants to love you and have a relationship with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that, you know, God is a quality time kind of, per, kind of guy. <laughs> he loves time with you. Does our busyness get in the way of listening? Does our serving take the place of our relationship? Because serving's a whole lot easier, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to measure. It's a whole lot easier to, to compartmentalize and make sure that you know it, it doesn't encroach on too many different aspects of it. We can kind of go, here here's my serving time, here's my, you know, what I do and, and here's where I give and you know and then the rest is <laughs> Jesus says, I, I don't want to be compartmentalized. I don't kind of want to be brought down into just a, 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 an obligation. I don't want to be reduced to an activity. God doesn't want to be reduced to two hours on a Sunday morning. I remember, kind of think back to the the, the prayer school and the, the three aspects of, of what it is to pray. When uh, Matthew Bolte was here 
last year and was sharing that with us. Do you remember? Does anyone remember? Apart from Haley, I know you know. <laughs> I was talking, I was listening, and I was doing. Remember those three? And, and essentially, that, that's praying, that's communicating with Jesus involves us talking, us listening, and us doing. And, and that's kind of like what, what, what prayer is, is, is really all about and, and, and this relationship with Jesus. And, and it's kind of like, yes, all of those uh, are really important. And as we come and we spend time, you know, yes, doing is part of that. And I'm not knocking those of you, I'm not criticizing in any way, shape or form, those of you who are people who love to be busy, who love to do and love to be active. And, you know, we need you. Absolutely. Very little would get done without you. It's awesome. <laughs> we, need, we need doers. We need people who, you know, take action. But not at the expense of your relationship. And so I want to challenge you, just in closing, I want to challenge you, I'm going to pray in just a sec, but I want to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak. And as you ask those questions and as you look at that kind of stuff in your life and go, is, is busyness crowding out my relationship with Jesus? A am I doing too much stuff? A am I doing stuff, even, even good stuff, even church stuff, even reading my Bible or you know, listening to, to, to Christian music or going to church, that, that's doing stuff. And sometimes that can even be done without necessarily it being done out of that place of relationship. And it's really important that we stop and we take stock of what's going on in our heart and what's going on in our relationship with Jesus. And we say, you know, if, if all that stuff is stripped away, what's left? Where is my, my relationship? What is my relationship with Jesus based on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love to spend time with us. Well, isn't it? It's an amazing privilege to think that the, the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with me, wants to spend time with me. And Father, we pray that, that you would help us this week as we're listening to you as we're asking ourselves some of these questions, as we're evaluating, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us discernment, that you would give us insight and understanding, that you would help us to, to see and identify those areas in our life where busyness has taken the place of our relationship where we've got so caught up and, and stressed about the stuff and doing the stuff that we no longer have any time to sit with you and listen to your voice. That, 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 that's getting crowded out. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise in, in, in how we take steps to address that. That you would help us to, to prioritize and, and to make time to sit with you, to listen to you, to hear your voice. Lord, not that we would forego action, not that we would say, you know, that, that that's bad, but Lord, that we would say, everything that I do 
comes out of that, that time that I spend with you. Everything that I do is in, in response to hearing your voice. Everything that I do is in response to your leading and your guiding and your relationship with me. Father, I pray that you would help me in doing that. Lord, I know that this is not something that I'm going to do today or this week even. But Lord, some of these things are, are changes in the, like the, the, the rhythms of my life, the, the beat of my life. Lord, I pray that you would help me to make the adjustments that I need to make. To help me prioritize that time at your feet with you. Hearing the affirmation that says you love me without the stuff. That you've got the details in your hand. That you can take care of that stuff. But you want me first and foremost. You don't love me for what I can do. You love me for me. Lord, we give you thanks. We're grateful for that. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.